Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show for America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this episode is cemetery research, and at the editor's desk, Allison Stacy, editor and publisher of Family Tree Magazine, will start us off by sharing some graveyard humor from a new book coming out later this year. Then we'll cover the latest happenings in the genealogy world with the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad, who is just back from the NGS conference in Salt Lake City. Next, we'll continue our conversation of cemetery research with author Sunny Morton as she shares tips from her article, Grave Transformations, in the Top Tips segment. And then in the 101 Best Website segment, I'll talk to David Day from the Names in Stone website. And then our own in-house preservationist, Grace Dobush, will bring us another installment of Safekeeping. And finally, in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Allison's going to be back to give us the schedule for the upcoming online classes. There's lots to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. once again to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Uh, you know, as we were getting ready for this uh, little segment here, you had me rolling in my chair here. <laughs> Tell me about this new book that you're working on. Well, our latest project has been a whole lot of fun. It's a book that will be coming out in September, and it's called Grave Humor. Naturally, it has to do with tombstones, and essentially the concept is we've um, invited people to submit pictures of funny tombstones, and we are compiling them into a book that um, we'll be putting out this fall. Oh, sometimes it's the true stuff that's the funniest, isn't it? I mean, (laughs) you were telling me, didn't you go out in a cemetery and walk around and kind of look for stuff as well? We definitely did. We took a little field trip from the Family Tree Magazine offices here in Cincinnati. There's a historic cemetery called Spring Grove Cemetery, and a lot of Civil War veterans are buried there and notable people from the local area. So um, it's it's really huge, and we decided to take the afternoon and go tromping around to try and see if we could find some good material for the book. And as it turns out, there was no shortage of good material for the book. We stumbled across some really funny tombstones and um, some folks that you really had to feel sorry for because they're names that just really are quite unfortunate. So they weren't uh, notable and famous in the old days, but they may be now once they hit the book. Tell us some of your favorites. Well, I think one of my favorites was um, a poor woman who just had married into the wrong family. Her tombstone read, Mary Alice, Cheese Man, Pig Man. (laughs) (laughs) Who does that? (laughs) Who does that to their kids? I I think she should have kept just her maiden name. That was bad enough. And, of course, you run into some kind of ironic uh, headstones. Uh, One was named Dead Man. Um, We had another one named Dyer. Um, (laughs) So uh, it's just kind of um, funny to walk around and and see what catches, catches your eye. Well, I love this because the book is going to be a nice diversion from all this hard work we're doing in our research. And boy, sometimes you just need to, to set it down and take 30 minutes and have a good laugh. Um, I know you had some folks contributing material as well. How, how are they doing that? Can they still do that? 
Absolutely. We are still keeping this effort going. We will probably use some more material in the magazine as well as the stuff that we've put in the book. And we're collecting photos by means of a photo pool on Flickr.com. And it's called uh, Funny Gravestone Photos is the name of the pool. So if you were to go to Flickr.com, you could just look for the Funny Gravestone Photos pool. But we'll also put a link in the show notes so people can find it. Um, it'll be a lot of fun. I think if you go there, you can actually view a slideshow of what's been submitted so far. And I, I guarantee that you'll get a few laughs. So um, tell us, you had some favorites when, as you were making the rounds yourself in the cemetery. What are some of the favorites of, that the folks have sent in to you? Oh, gosh, there's so many. Um, one that I particularly like is a gravestone for Santa. Oh. Yeah, it makes you Poor a little Santa. sad. Poor Santa. Um, but then there are also some good uh, epitaphs. There was a guy who had a Mercedes Benz-shaped headstone. Looks like the grill of a vehicle. And he said, he who dies with the most toys wins. Oh. <laughs> well, except he's still dead. So yeah. <laughs> there's the irony for you. <laughs> um, everything down to, you know, sort of, there's a James T. Kirk buried in a cemetery somewhere and there's some really funny shaped tombstones. Um, we've seen computers, we've seen televisions, um, we've seen even one that is a plot that has a um, sport, a soccer uh, field on it. So people really kind of go a little crazy in death as well as life, I guess. Wow, some great self-expression after they're gone. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, these folks will definitely not be forgotten. Fantastic. So tell us, when can we look forward to this book? The book will be coming out in September, and you'll be able to find it, of course, on ShopFamilyTree.com, as well as in bookstores like Barnes & Noble and Borders. Wonderful. Oh, how fun. Thank you for the sneak preview. Uh, we will look forward to it. You bet. <laughs> Thanks. Now for some news from the blogosphere with the genealogy insider and managing editor, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi. So what's new in the world of genealogy? I have heard there's a lot going on. Well, yeah, since we just came back from the National Genealogical Society conference last week, that was in the capital of genealogy, Salt Lake City, and it was one of the biggest conferences that I can remember going to, so it was pretty exciting. Wow, so they've they've really uh, made it a much larger event, more dynamic than, than in years past? They did. They added the Gentech Hall, which um, you might recall Gentech was an organization that was sort of absorbed into NGS mm -hmm. a few years back. And so they brought back a separate Gentech area for genealogy technology organizations. Great. And there was a huge bank of computers that attendees could just go use, you know, for whatever they needed to do, which I think people really appreciated. Oh, that's and then they nice. had yeah, and they had different presentation areas in the exhibit hall. So the exhibit hall stayed relatively active even during classes. Mm, which is a bit different. Oftentimes it can get kind of quiet in there, but yeah, it sounds like yeah. there was quite a draw. Yeah, and then there were several, um, you know, there are always extra events such as tours and um, 
banquets and Ancestry.com had a viewing party for Who Do You Think You Are? And then FamilySearch sponsored a huge celebration of family history for conference goers and for people from the area. There were something like 20,000 people who went to this event, and it had the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and Orchestra and... um, David McCullough, the um, the writer of 1776 and other mm-hmm. history books, spoke, which was very exciting. There was a lot going on, yeah. And I know that both Ancestry and Family Search had some announcements. They tend to do that at these conferences. What did you hear, and what were you reporting on? Well, the three biggest things that Ancestry.com said, they talked a lot about the search filters that they've been adding to their search, um, and then some of the other changes on the search interface, such as um, they're going to simplify that basic search form to make it easier for maybe the newer users, Mm -hmm. and then you can expand um, to an advanced search form that offers you filters to give you more control of your search results, and they're also adding um, easier browsing, so they'll make it easier to browse by place and find all the records associated with say, the town or county where your ancestors are from. So I think the more experienced users will probably really appreciate that ability. So that was one thing. Um, Their reference book, Ancestry's Red Book, that a lot of people use to find out where to write for different kinds of records, Mm -hmm. is going to be free in a public wiki which was pretty exciting for a lot of people. And then (laughs) Mac users will be thrilled to hear that Family Tree Maker will be available in a Mac version by the end of the year. Yeah, now that's a big change. Yeah, yeah. We've gotten several comments to our blog post about it, people who are very excited about that. So um, so that was Ancestry.com's big news. Family Search said that they've added an additional 300 million names to their search site. And they have a beta site where you can search these names. Um, They're sort of experimenting with their search interface, and so they're adding these records to the beta site so you can try it out. Right. Amazing. I mean, just when you think you've you've seen it all, they come out with 300 million new names. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's really really exciting to see how um, you, you never have to feel like you've reached the dead end because there's always something new around the corner. Right. Yes. And that's gives hope to people who are facing those brick walls. Absolutely. Well, wow, fantastic. It sounds like they kept you very busy. And I know I was following Mm -hmm. your um, exploits on the Genealogy Insider blog. Tell us, of course, the website address to track you on the Genealogy Insider. It's familytreemagazine.com slash insider. And there was so much more conference news that I hope people will go look at to see all the new developments that are coming out. Oh, fantastic. Thanks so much, Diane. You're welcome. Well, in keeping with our Cemetery Records theme here on the podcast, I've invited author Sunny Morton to join me to talk about her article in the July 2010 issue. It's called Tombstone Tales. Welcome back to the show, Sunny. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks so much for joining us. You know, in this article, you cover four key questions that will make our ancestral grave markers and cemeteries come alive with family history. What are those four questions that you think we should be asking? Well, I think it's really important at the very beginning to look at what kind of cemetery it is that your ancestors are buried in. And we'll go over um, several different types of cemeteries that might be And then also to look closely once you're walking the rows, how it's organized, 
what the details are on the tombstone. And then, of course, once you start researching locally or online, what kinds of cemetery records might be available that can tell you more than what you see on the headstones. Let's go back to question number one, because I think this is one that maybe we don't always first think of, and that was, what kind of cemetery is it? What did you mean by that? Well, what I mean really is that cemeteries have their own histories. We might walk into one in 2010, but whether it's been there since 1920 or 1740, there's a lot of different kinds of information and and sort of cultural information that you're going to get from that type of cemetery. And certainly, um, who... Who, ran, who runs the cemetery now, but who ran the cemetery in your ancestors' day? Was it community-run, run by the military or a church, a private company? Um, all of these get, kind of can give us clues about our ancestors, maybe their values, their religious values, or their pride in military service if they've buried a relative there, or um, if they were part of a prominent part of the community, perhaps, uh, where they're buried in it or whether they could afford to be buried in a more uh, prominent uh, local memorial garden or something like that that maybe has uh, lots of statuary and really beautiful things. So really um, looking at whether this is a churchyard cemetery, and I described those a little bit, whether it's a family cemetery, if someone's buried in a family plot, uh, maybe on some family land, that can give you some details right there about maybe about some ownership of property in the past. Um, It can also say that, well, maybe they lived out in the country and there were no public cemeteries available for them to be buried there. So really, the kind of burial ground that it is is really one of our first clues about the the daily life and values and culture of our ancestors. Exactly. And I think I read in the article you were saying that um, those family cemeteries were fairly common in the South. So if you were looking for somebody buried in the South, that's kind of a clue that, oh, that's kind of a cultural thing. And perhaps I should be looking a little bit outside the box in in terms of um, trying to find some local, you know, lesser known family type um, cemeteries as well. And I like the fact that you gave a couple of great websites in here. Um, Many of us have folks who were in the military. And there were a couple of websites. I know one of them was the Department of Veterans Affairs. And that's at cem.va.gov. And they list American military cemeteries around the country, as well as um, military cemeteries that were created by the United States in other countries. It was pretty fascinating when I interviewed uh, Marilyn Yellom, who is the author of The American Resting Place. I quote her throughout this article. She told me that the first military cemetery uh, for our country actually existed overseas and was put together. There's like this little two-acre site in Mexico City from 1851, from when we had people fighting down there. And I thought that was a real fascinating insight to, you know, how long we've been going overseas and um, and really having a military presence abroad. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I've never heard of that. <laughs> and and I know that you also had in there the American Battle Monuments Commission, which contains 24 cemeteries for U.S. soldiers who died in battles overseas. That's abmc.gov slash home.php. We're going to have those two uh, websites for you in the show notes, because I think those are really great places to start. But 
I, I know you were you you interviewed the gal about the book, and you had all these questions going on in your mind as you're writing the article. Um, how did this change your own experience in terms of your own research? Did you apply any of these uh, questions and techniques to your research? You know, as a matter of fact, and this is specifically looking at the tombstones themselves, I was really curious about even just my own grandparents, about whom I think I know quite a bit. Um, I went back and found um, a photograph of their tombstone, which is on a shady um, shady mountainside overlooking Pikes Peak, Colorado. I went and found their dual marker, and their marker is just loaded with information. There is their radio, ham radio call signs are on there. <laughs> Both of them were ham radio operators. Their uh, Lions Club membership is there. Um, they have um, a little carving in the middle of the tombstone that has um, intertwined rings, and across them it says Butch. And so I, that was a cue for me to ask my mom what Butch meant. And she said, well, that was their nickname. They called each other Butch. Both the man and the woman called each other Butch. That was, and I thought that was so cute. And then they had a, a, on the back of the headstone, I, I fortunately have an image of that too, is the birth dates and names of all my aunts and uncles. So really that one tombstone there is just packed with information. Wow. Good pointer. Look at the back of the tombstone. Isn't that funny? We always get focused in on what's the names, what's the dates, and, and looking at the front, but going around the back side. Gosh, and you found all those other names and dates there as well. It was really fascinating to then take all this information and apply it to tombstones that I thought I knew well, details that I hadn't paid a lot of attention to. Oh, wonderful. Well, if if this has piqued your interest and you would like to uh, explore more about the cemetery records in your family tree, check out Tombstone Tales. Um, it's by Sonny McClellan Morton. It's these four questions that are really going to help you get the most out of your research and probably help you discover some things you maybe haven't noticed before in those cemetery records. Sonny, fascinating as always. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. In this 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, we are going to stick with our cemetery theme by, ta by taking a look at the Names in Stone website, which integrates burial data with digital maps online. The site was launched in December of 2008 by Gateway Mapping, and with me today on the show is co-founder and president of Gateway Mapping, David Day, the man kind of behind the scenes at Names in Stone. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Lisa. Good to be here. Well, tell our listeners, what are they going to find when they get to the Names in Stone website? Well, Names in Stone is, is an innovative approach at, at presenting cemetery information. Um, three things I'd like to discuss that make Names in Stone unique. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the first one, MAPS. As you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, and, and most cemetery sites provide an alphabetical listing of burials, and this is wonderful and represents a lot of hard work. Uh, Names in Stone provides a map that, that not only uh, shows you where an individual is buried, but who's buried around that person. So, so genealogists can begin to visualize families based on the, the relationship of, of 
burial plots and graves. Oh, that would be a huge benefit, wouldn't it? It's it's proven to be uh, very helpful. Yeah. So that that's the biggest difference, I think. And and then um, the data for our large, larger cemeteries on names of stone is dynamic data. And what I mean by that is it comes directly from the cemeteries. We provide the cemeteries with uh, a utility that allows them to upload their data to names in stone anytime they want. So the data is is new and fresh and uh, and 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 unique in that way. It's it's not a static database, but it's refreshed regularly. Wow! And do you find that many cemeteries are interested in working with you on that? Yes, we have. Um, uh, not as many as as we're hoping for. Names in Stone is is in its infancy. Uh, we're excited to see it grow. We're encouraging people to uh, talk about Names in Stone and get the word out because it provides not only a benefit to the genealogists but also to the cemeteries. And and we have uh, nearly 200 cemeteries on board so far, and uh, and they love the idea of being able to upload their information to us because it provides a public service, but also we store their data on our servers as an off-site backup. Oh, great point. And I imagine it's quite a time saver for them if they can just direct inquiries to your website and say, there you can find everything and kind of save themselves some time in the office. We work with one cemetery that, that tells us that they spend four hours of a day uh, uh, addressing public inquiries on grave location. So this will be a tremendous uh, time saver for them. Oh, I imagine. And so when somebody goes to namesinstone.com, um, how does the genealogist get started and, and what are we looking for on there? Where should we head first if we just have a limited amount of time? Uh, good question. The, the homepage, we, we tried to make that... Uh, uh, not only attractive and informative, but it has a search uh, box right on the home page, so the, the visitor can begin their search immediately. Uh, the box will allow, allow them to search by uh, uh, a deceased person's last name. Uh, they can narrow that search by dates, uh, important birth and death dates, as well as by cemeteries if they know it. Um, uh, so immediately they can they can begin begin the search and 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 that search will then take them to a search results page that will show an alphabetical listing and then a link right to the map so they can find the person they're interested in and and click a button and it'll take them right to the map so we we've tried to make this a, a very quick process uh, from home page to map in fact, I noticed that you have a map of the United States, and the states that were that have data are kind of lined in yellow, right? They stand out. So you can kind of quickly and easily assess if there is currently data, although I imagine we need to check back because you're always uploading new information. Well, that's right, and, and we would like people to look at that map, and, and if they live in that state that is not highlighted yellow to... Uh, to get busy <laughs> and talk to their cemeteries and and uh, let us help them get their 
the information mapped and on this website. You bet. Well, tell us real quickly, how did you get started um, with this idea? What led to Names in Stone? In, um, in the early 90s, we organized a company that uh, used uh, a, a technical mapping technology called uh, Geographic Information Systems. And very briefly, what that does is it combines computerized or digital maps with databases. So, so we create smart maps, not just a picture, but maps that tell a story, maps that are digital, and you can, you can click on something on the map, and up comes more information about that, that feature. We used it a lot for uh, public utilities, uh, nuclear facilities, uh, planning, zoning, school boundaries, etc. Well, the thought came to us that um, there, there couldn't be a better application than a cemetery. Uh, cemeteries uh, rely on maps and rely on data. And so we, we began to explore that potential and learned very quickly, Lisa, that, that uh, cemeteries... Um, at least in general and in our experience, uh, we're behind the times te uh, with technology. Right. Many uh, recorded their information on old sexton ledgers and, and note cards and spiral binders, and, and their maps were even worse off. Uh, we remember one cemetery that their maps were drawn on the back of... Uh, a large presidents of the United States calendar, <laughs> the biggest piece of paper they could find. Oh, wow. So we recognized that the need was there, and, and yet the technology to really help a cemetery, uh, especially uh, smaller cemeteries, was not there. So we began to apply this GIS technology. We developed our own software that, that was uh, very simple and user-friendly for cemeteries. Um, uh, we call it spatial generations, mm -hmm. and uh, and and then uh, we went to work and and we helped cemeteries find funding to modernize their their record keeping, and that's how it was born. Uh, we actually started our first cemetery in 1993, and we've been going ever since. What a wonderful marriage of your mapping expertise, the software the needs of the cemeteries, and of course, they always have limited resources. It all comes together. Um, it sounds fantastic. Well, if you're listening and you want to give Names in Stone a try and see what it can do for your cemetery research, head to namesinstone.com. And while you're there, think about maybe there is a cemetery near you or maybe your society or even a, a Cub Scout group is uh, looking for a project. This might be a wonderful way to get involved and, and upload more information for all of us to benefit from. David, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Hi, everybody. This is Grace, the preservation expert here at Family Tree Magazine. This month, I'm going to talk about an unusual kind of heirloom, one that you probably don't have in your house. That would be tombstones. 
Sure, you can't stash them away in the closet like you do all your other hand-me-downs, but tombstones are just as important to preserve. I'll tell you how to keep grave markers from grave danger in this edition of Safekeeping. Tombstone rubbings are an excellent way to have a record of the information they contain, as well as a memento of the rock itself. But you have to do a rubbing right, or else you risk causing damage to the stone itself. And it's worth mentioning that rubbings are illegal in some areas, so always ask before getting down to business. If your ancestor's cemetery is on the banned list, photography is a good alternative. If you're going to do a rubbing, here's some great advice from the Association of Gravestone Studies, which you can learn more about at gravestonestudies.org. First off, you should rub only solid stones that are in good condition. Check for cracks, evidence of previous breaks, or adhesive repairs. You shouldn't attempt to rub any deteriorating marble or sandstone, or any unsound or weakened stone. For example, if a stone that sounds hollow when you tap it, or a stone that's flaking, splitting, blistered, cracked, or unstable. If you need to clean the stone before starting to do the rubbing, use a soft brush and plain water. Only plain water. You want to leave the stone in better condition than you found it. And detergents, soaps, vinegar, bleach, or any other cleaning solution, no matter how mild, can cause real damage to the stone. Don't use any stiff bristled or wire brushes, putty knives, nail files, or any metal objects to clean or remove lichen from the stone. You can try soaking soft lichen with plain water and then loosen it with a gum eraser or a wooden popsicle stick, but you have to be gentle. If the lichen doesn't come off easily, just stop. For the rubbing itself, you want to use paper or non-fusible interfacing. This is a cheap, stiff fabric that's really great for doing tombstone rubbings. Make sure that the paper or interfacing covers the entire face of the stone and secure it with masking tape. Don't use adhesives, scotch tape, or duct tape. Just masking tape. Make sure to test your wax before you start rubbing to make sure that it doesn't go through the paper or interfacing. And you don't want to use magic markers or other types of permanent markers to do the rubbing because they can bleed through. Once you start doing the rubbing, do it gently and carefully. If you're doing photography instead of a rubbing, use a large mirror to direct bright sunlight diagonally across the face of the grave marker to make the inscriptions more visible. Don't use shaving cream, chalk, graphite, dirt, or any other concoction to try to be able to read the tombstone better. You can visit our podcast show notes page for some more researches on tombstone rubbing. Until next time, stay safe. In this Family Tree University Crash Course segment, I've invited Allison Stacy back to the show to um, give us an overview of what's coming down the pike. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. 
Well, I know that uh, class is, gonna, is in session. We just got started. I know I'm teaching the Google Tools class right now, which is a lot of fun. It's so fun to be interactive with the students. Um, but you've got a whole slate of classes coming up. Tell us about those. Right. Well, we have registration open right now for uh, a whole series of classes, and I thought it would be uh, helpful to share some of the topics so that people could go and check them out. So first, we have Finding Ancestors in the U.S. Census. Census research, obviously, is something that's very near and dear to um, genealogists' hearts. So we do have a class on that, and that's kind of a nuts and bolts class covering the basics of what you can do in the census. Um, We have Land Records 101. I know that land records are very confusing to a lot of people. It's kind of a complex subject, and uh, we have a really great overview of getting started with land records, um, how to use those confusing meets and bounds right. land descriptions, and as well as the you know the government um, federal government records and other sources. Uh, We have a class on vital records, which everybody uses vital records, but this is really designed to help you kind of get the most out of those records. And um, that includes, you know, everybody is looking for those official vital records, but they're not always available or immediately accessible. So this tells you kind of how to get to that information um, without necessarily, when you maybe can't find an official vital record from the state. Mm. Yeah, we um, have a course on tracing immigrants. That's a real important piece of the puzzle for so many family historians. And um, this this is actually part of a series where um, we have three classes that will walk through really taking your research from the U.S. over to the old country, wherever that may happen to be. And this first course really goes into how to thoroughly trace an immigrant so that you have the information that you need to make the leap across the pond. So it's the stuff that you're doing here in the States to kind of prepare for that leap. Exactly. Um, With a particular focus on like passenger lists and naturalization records and making that link because that's a real goal for a lot of genealogists. They want to find that document that, you know, shows their ancestors stepping foot on American soil. So absolutely. In fact, I was just doing some research and uh, came across a, a passport application that was actually after the immigration date uh, because they were traveling back and forth, but it had that hometown village yeah. labeled right there on the passport. Fantastic. So our our pool of documents that we're pulling from are, is growing as well. So it sounds like a great class. Indeed. Um, we'll be doing a little introduction to digital photography. Um, mm. Not just using your camera, although that is certainly part of it, but really techniques for applying it to your genealogy research. So, you know, when you go to a cemetery, how do you make sure that you're capturing the tombstone properly? And how do you photograph artifacts and heirlooms and documents um, so that you can make that part of of your research? And um, in addition to just photography we do go into scanning a little bit too so kind of how to capture and preserve your family history so that'll be i think an essential piece of the puzzle for a lot of people too yeah it's so easy to make some beginner mistakes when you're doing that and and you do all that scanning and then you have to go back and do it again so at least this way we can learn it the correct way right up front right (laughs) it'll save you some time and last but not least, we have reverse genealogy. And, of course, you are the instructor for that course. Yeah. Um, that's uh, I was just going through that course again the other day. And, wow, that's got a lot of great um, techniques for 
finding living relatives, which is something that I think people occasionally overlook the importance of living relatives and distant cousins that either you know or you don't know as a source of family history information. Mm -hmm. So um, that one, I think, is packed with great information. Thank you. Well, it was it was a lot of fun to put together, and I, I can't wait to do it because, like you say, you know, we think about the interviews that we need to do, and certainly we want to check in with our, particularly our older relatives, uh, but, but get all those interviews done. But there could be those uh, mm-hmm. living relatives that we don't know about or haven't talked to, and it's a great way to find them, as well as even collateral lines uh, further back in history, but still you could sometimes have to come forward, which kind of goes against our normal routine, but it's very effective in some cases, really gets those brick walls out of the way. Absolutely, because you never know where the family artifacts and documents are going to end up. Yes, exactly. When there's so many descendants of any given ancestor, they could wind up with somebody halfway across the country that you've never even heard of, but they could be a gold mine of family history information for you. Well, tell us, how do we, where do we find all the listings of classes? How do we go about registering? This is pretty new stuff here, doing online classes like this. So it how is. do we get involved? It's brand new for us, and we're really excited about this program. You can go to FamilyTreeUniversity.com, and all of our courses that are currently open are listed there. You also can get a look at who our instructors are for each course and learn a little bit more about their background and expertise, which is great. Um, we're also extending a special discount to folks for this first session to let you try it out at a reduced price. You can get $15 off using the code LAUNCH15 when you register. Wonderful. That's LAUNCH15. Oh, we like to save money. Okay, 15% off. And it's at FamilyTreeUniversity.com. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, well, I know I'm excited. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed doing the Google Tools class, and I'm looking forward to reverse genealogy. So I hope to uh, see some of you out there in my class. And I know we've got some other great ones that Allison mentioned. They'll all be listed there on the website. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you, and see everyone in class. Thanks so much for joining me for this May 2010 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis at blog.familytreemagazine.com insider. Next, head over to FamilyTreeMagazine.com slash podcast, and there you will find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we talked about on today's show, including links to Shop Family Tree, where you can pick up the July 2010 issue that includes Sunny's article, Grave Transformations, as well as those websites that we talked about in the interview. And don't forget to visit the Names in Stone website to see if they have information on the burial grounds of your ancestors at namesinstone.com. And finally, head over to familytreeuniversity.com where you can browse the upcoming classes that Allison told us about and register online. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. 
I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope that you'll visit me at my website at genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. Both shows are also available through iTunes. And until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.